Well, this is the first show in the month of March. So you're welcome to the Independence Month, the Heritage Month, and of course, the month when we celebrate women as well. It's going to be a great show because we are going to talk about a topic that people sometimes often shy away from or feel a little queasy when they have to discuss it. But it's all about tech, so everybody's included. Well, you're welcome. This is City Trends. My name is Philip Pastron, and you can be a part of the show with your comments on 0549-986-996. What exactly are we talking about today? Well, innovation for inclusion, it cuts across various spheres, various circles, and it's often a somewhat taboo topic. People know it's an issue, but often don't like to talk about it. But then in the realms of tech and with all the innovation that we are seeing globally and locally, I think it's only fair that we touch on that topic. And so I have been um, privileged enough um, to be joined for this conversation by Emily Sheldon. And she has been involved in the tech space in Ghana for quite a bit. So yeah, she, she knows her way around you know, the city and the town. But she's also been very, very knee deep in a lot of the conversations and a lot of the effort not just the conversations, the effort when it comes to um, conversations around inclusion and diversity especially. And in these times, globally and locally, if you're not plugged into the inclusion and diversity conversation, you really are missing out a lot, whether you're an individual or you are a corporate. And so Emily joins us to give us a bit of insight about what's happening on the continent, what's happening within Ghana, especially around the issues of inclusion and diversity and then also what are some of the initiatives that are happening in ghana that you need to be made aware of that have a lot to do with the tech space in ghana emily it's always a pleasure to have you on the show for the uninitiated those who probably don't know who you are a quick introduction for our listeners sure uh thanks so much for having us philip i'm so excited to have this conversation with you today so my name is Emily Sheldon. I am the co-founder and CEO of the African Health Innovation Center. We are based in Osu, and we are Ghana's first organization that's dedicated to improving health outcomes through innovation and entrepreneurship. My background is a blend of public health and business, um, and I've had the pleasure and the privilege of working in Ghana since 2016. Um, and we're so excited about some of the new conversations that are happening about who's being left out of the innovation conversation and how we can better include them. And, and that is probably where we can begin the conversation. Who exactly is being left out of that technology conversation? Who is being left on the fringes? Who do we know is supposed to be in the conversation who unfortunately is, is not part of it? You know, back in 2019, we did some ecosystem mapping. We were really trying to look at the landscape of the innovation and entrepreneurship environment um, in Accra, beyond Accra, and all throughout the country. And what we noticed is that there were two distinct groups that we felt were really missing, leaving, or not invited to the conversation. The first is we noticed that the startup community was losing a lot of parents 
once people started to have kids, they were looking for jobs that were more stable, that had better health insurance, that gave them paid leave. And yeah, so we created an internal initiative called Innovating Parenthood, where we really want to start to work with hubs and within the innovation community to talk about some of those, you know, paid family leave, some of those key structural barriers that we hope will keep brilliant minds and people within the entrepreneurship environment. But the second part, and the part we've really been focusing on, is the disabled community, uh, people with disabilities. And I think what we found is that, you know, entrepreneurship is really special because it's all about self-empowerment. If you can dream of something and you can plan for it, then you can go and do it. But for a huge portion of the population, there are significant structural and cultural barriers in place to prevent that participation. How do you go to a networking event if your wheelchair can't get through the front door? How do you ask a question of an advisor if they can't speak your own language or the way that you communicate? How do you go through training manuals if they aren't written in Braille? And so what we found is that this lack of adaptation was leaving a really significant portion of the population out. And I think there has been this really big move, which is exciting, um, about disabled co-creation, right? If you're going to build, build a wheelchair ramp, somebody in a wheelchair should be joining you and participating in that process. But what if a person in a wheelchair is passionate about solving sanitation? What is their access to the innovation community now? And so we uh, developed another internal initiative called Designing for Access. And Designing for Access is really about looking at how we have inclusive innovation. How can we adapt training programs and entrepreneurship for different community needs? It's about clinical therapy and device support. How can we make sure that the proper equipment is available, accessible, and affordable? And this disability co-creation. How can we work with the disabled community to make sure that websites are readable, to make sure that buildings are accessible? Um, and we're excited that more and more of the community in Ghana is starting to pay attention to this conversation. How do you even measure how conscious the community is to these sorts of conversations? Because there is a bigger issue having to do with how the general society even views people with disability even before you come into the smaller community of of tech or people within the tech space and how much attention they pay to people with disability because if as a society we are not paying enough attention to people with disability it would affect resources it would affect um infrastructure and whether they are tailored for people with disability so i'm just wondering how how you measure the sensitivity of a the wider community and b the tech community to some of these challenges that you know and um, people with disabilities face absolutely and i think it even goes back to the intro this is an uncomfortable conversation and so i think the first way you measure it is is the conversation happening who is talking about it? How frequently are they talking about it? When people are planning for activities, is this something that comes to mind? And how are different innovation leaders or startups starting to involve different communities and even bring it up as a discussion point? And then when we've started to reach that point where it is being talked about, 
I think the second measurement is, is it being discussed with dignity? And that is what we really need to get out because there's this idea that we're rushing in to save people. And, and that's not the case. People with disabilities have just as much potential to achieve things as any, we would say, typical individual. It's about accessibility. It's about whether people have access to an environment, to conversations, and to adaptable frameworks that allow them to participate. You know, we, um, one of the, the new things we're working on, we're really excited about, is this collaboration with actually a group in the US called Bella's Bumbas. And they build um, low cost, easy to use plastic wheelchairs for young children, like ages one to three. Okay, so we're talking about a two-year-old rolling around in a little wheelchair. Um, we've actually got one in the next room that we're getting ready to distribute. It will be the first one to go out in Ghana. It's part of our kind of focus on equipment accessibility. When people hear that, they feel this, oh, that's so exciting, that poor child. How can we help them? That's great. Yes, okay, true. It is great to give that to a child. But this is also about empowerment. We know that when a child is able to move themselves, not be carried, not be pushed, but when they can crawl, when they can walk, or if those aren't the case, when they can move themselves in their own wheelchair, a different part of their brain lights up. A different part of their brain begins to function. That independent mobility is a game changer for long-term development. The same way most people in Ghana don't want the world to look at them and say, oh, we're coming to save you, right? It's, it's the exact same. Give people access and resources and tools and they will come to save themselves. That's, it's, 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 always, it's always a tricky position to put people in because one is uncomfortable and two, they know that's the truth, but it's kind of difficult to face the truth. And so... It's, it's very interesting, and, and kudos to you and your team. We'll be getting to some of the other initiatives that you've put in place. But I, I want to get into that conversation of what the global trends are today um, with regards innovation for you know, people with disabilities. What, what's, what's happening globally? What's, what are the latest trends you know, that I think you mentioned one about, for example, innovation with the wheelchairs and everything. But what are some of the interesting things that are happening globally? On, on the disability front? There, there are some really cool innovations, and I wanna share some that are tech-specific because I know tech is something you love. Um, I think that there are a lot of different ways that educators, organizations, and individuals have started to leverage technology to enable people with disabilities. Um, there's one, oh, what is the name, Future Blink. Future Blink um, was a cool product that we discovered. It was produced by the American Society for Deaf Children. Um, and we actually used it on a project we did with UNICEF here in Ghana in Schools for the Deaf. And it leverages machine learning to help people learn sign language online. So it uses the camera on your computer, your laptop, your device, and as you start to do the letters of the alphabet or different signs, it's tracking you to tell you whether you're doing it correctly. So it's able to almost test you in real time. So using artificial intelligence, um, it's really giving you that access. There are some things that are um, happening on a global scale, but also being done here in Ghana. So a really big push right now is about digital accessibility. 
when you go on a website, on a mobile phone, on social media, the colors that are used, the levels of contrasting, the sizes of font, if one color is on a different color background, are all hugely impactful for people with vision impairments, for example. So there are huge companies now that are working with large-scale corporates to help them redesign their websites and their social media um, to insert things that can read information aloud, things like that. And there's a group in Ghana who's doing that as well called Tech Era, led by a great guy named Derek Omari. And they will come into your business in Ghana and do a full review of your website, your digital materials, and help you adapt them. Talking about vision impairment, there's also some really cool technology being done with glasses. So there's now a pair of glasses, oh, I have to think of the name, OCAM, um, that you can put on. They have a tiny little camera on them. And if you're a person who's visually impaired or blind, and you walk up, you tap the side of the camera, and it will take that image and then read out to you a description of what you're seeing. So it can actually help guide you around the world, which gives you a level of independence that you didn't have before. So technology is really starting to change and transition. You know, we're talking a lot about the deaf and the blind because that's an area where we're seeing a lot of tech being used. But you know, now you have, we talked earlier about how technology helps support sign language, which is incredible. But there's also a lot of people who use what we call assistive tech um, to allow themselves to hear. So if you have a hearing aid that can increase the volume, it amplifies what you're hearing in your natural environment, or there's cochlear implants. Now, a cochlear implant is surgically inserted under the skin on your head, and it is a, a small magnetic coil, and it actually reroutes the way that sound travels through your brain. So it's no longer going through the ear, it's not getting louder, it's changing the way that your brain thinks. It can be tied to Bluetooth technology. You can stream a phone call or a YouTube video that you're watching on your tablet directly into your brain. And people who are born profoundly deaf with no access to sound are able to hear this way. And, and I think it was October, the very first two cochlear implant surgeries were performed in Ghana with Ghanaian doctors. So there's incredible transformations. They're wow. not just happening around the globe. They're happening here, but we're not talking about them. Yeah, like that, that really surprises me because I had no idea something like that had happened. And these are Ghanaian doctors who actually were part of it. American doctors and Ghanaian doctors who worked in collaboration. Um, and it was the first of what will likely be many to come. And so people can now leverage sign language and auditory verbal language combined to get the most out of their sensory experience, if that's the route that they want to go. I mean, it's, it's incredible even changing the way the brain appreciates, you know, what sound is and, and all of that. And it's, I mean, some of the examples that you talk about um, and the fact that these are not things that are far removed from, from us here in Ghana. These are things that are readily available. And I think that's where, you know, your team basically comes into the conversation where you are finding ways by which some of these global innovations will become readily available in Ghana for for people with disability in Ghana to be able to use. Is is, is that am I correct in terms of um, understanding what your team what your team is trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I don't want to paint a picture like everything is perfect, right? Because there are huge challenges in place. 
Um, and we've had the privilege of working with a number of schools and with other partners. Um, we work in collaboration with the Ghana National Association of the Deaf, with the Center for Employment of Persons with Disabilities, with other groups, both government and NGO. Um, and we've seen the challenges that so many face. There's limited funding, there's limited access, there's a lack of trained staff. And one of the things I've had the privilege of learning over the last few years. You know, this has always been an area of professional interest for me. And since 2019, we wanted to establish this because we saw this huge gap when we did this landscaping. But I also have people in my personal life that have one or more disabilities. And what that has allowed me to see is the complexity of these challenges and just how intertwined solutions need to be. And so we are really, really lucky that we are positioned in a way that we can work with large-scale NGOs, with UN agencies, with local and large-scale hospitals, and also with individuals, um, corporates, the private sector, to kind of serve as this intermediary to make sure that access exists. But we also see just how high that hill is to climb and how important it is that other people start to have this conversation too. I mean, I'll be coming back to you on, you know, the the wider the wider community and some of the efforts, you know, that you're seeing being done. But listeners, you're tuning in to 97.3 CTFM. This is City Trends. We're having a conversation around innovation for inclusion, basically trying to understand what some of the things that are happening within our space here in Ghana um, with regards you know, people with disabilities generally and how they are being woven better into the fabric, into the the, the ecosystem that we, we are trying to build. And some of the things that we don't even pay attention to, some of the things that are happening that we don't even know, but are critical to where we want to get to in terms of making sure that everybody is a part of the conversation. I am here with Emily Sheldon. We're actually somewhere in Osu in your office. And... Um, just trying to catch up um, and and have uh, and have these very pertinent conversations. Um, she is with the African Health Innovation Center, and um, we'll be getting a lot more detail about what exactly they do much later in the conversation. So, it's clear that there's a lot happening. It's clear that there is not enough being said about it. But I guess the next leg of 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 my conversation has to do with acceptance. Because it's, it's one thing having these innovations, um, but it's a completely different story when it comes to people actually accepting some of these innovations. They might help, but in terms of the level of acceptance, I, I'm just wondering if you know, some, it has come up as a conversation, and if it has, what are some of the things that have been done around getting people to not just know that it is there, but in accepting it and making it a normal part of their living? So this is a big part of the conversation, right? That you have access to innovations and tools, and we see this in every, every area, mm -hmm. right? Somebody develops something new and exciting and big and life-changing, and then when you actually try to implement it in communities, hey, the, <laughs> the problems you run into, right? <laughs> So we've seen that happen here as well. And you know, I think we spoke a few minutes ago about kind of how complex these situations can be. And I think that that's a big part of it, right? 
So let's go back to this idea of cochlear implants we were just discussing. It sounds incredible. Like you go through this surgery, now you can suddenly hear, you have all these things you couldn't do before, but you're retraining your brain to hear in a different way. So when you're looking at cochlear implant surgery, the surgery is the easy part. The surgery is the part that sounds stressful, but the surgery is the easy part. It's what comes after, which is months and months and years and years of speech therapy, of going through, we call it mapping, moving through the brain and figuring out how the electrodes are actually gathering sound, going through frequent testing, um, both with and without your cochlear implants on to gauge what your hearing levels are. I mean, we're talking not just about a one-time surgery, but years of structured therapy services that help this work effectively. Now, we're sitting in an environment where going to see the same doctor twice in a row is a privilege, <laughs> right? And something that doesn't happen every day, okay? So when you start to look at trying to set up a system of structured ongoing care um, for something that doesn't seem essential or life-threatening, you, you run into challenges. And you run into even more challenges when, you, when you're a person who's, who's lower income when you're a person who doesn't have access to the same education, when you're a person who's geographically far away from the city and it takes you longer to reach those services. There are fewer trained professionals, which means there are fewer people with time to share with a larger population that needs that support, right? So what we found is that there's interest and excitement, but we don't necessarily have the structural system in place yet to give the support services that are needed for that, that those innovations or devices to work. And I think it's a combination moving forward of two things. One is to help fix that structural environment and to help make these innovations more normalized and to give them pathways to be successful. And I think the second part is to recognize the local context. There are great innovations that will not work well in Ghana. There are great innovations that will work great in Accra, and they will not work well. Uh huh. So what we need to think about is what is the right fit, and then how do we work on making that fit a possibility? It sounds like such a huge problem to fix. You would think that, you know, this is the solution. It's it's it's, it's sitting there, staring at us in the face. But then the levels it needs to go through before A, it's accepted, B, becomes, you know, widely accepted and all of that. It just seems like a very Herculean task. And it doesn't seem like something that just your organization will be able to manage and handle. How, how do you, I mean, if you can, kudos to you, but how do you think we can get the wider society and even people within the tech space more conscious of a the size of the problem b the solutions available and c how we can make it an integral part of our daily living we could not solve this ourselves if we wanted to and we wouldn't want to in the first place i think that collaboration 
conversation and shared co-creation is, is absolutely essential for this to be successful. And the very first thing that we did when we started focusing on this is create a disability access working group. So we have invited um, members of the disabled community, leaders in the innovation space, and others in the private sector to come together into a working group where we can have open collaborative conversations about what we're working on, what others might be working on, get real-time feedback on those ideas, and iterate, iterate, iterate as we go. I mean, the one beautiful thing about the innovation space is that it's full of energetic people who see every problem as an opportunity and know how to pivot when things aren't going their way. And if we can harness that energy, um, we, can, we can see incredible things happen. You know, we have been doing a lot with schools for the deaf and teaching innovation through sign language interpreters. And we just saw the other week that a Shesi has a sign language club that's been going out now and teaching innovation using their own students as interpreters, right? That's incredible. It's so exciting. And I think that, you know, one of the challenges in the entrepreneurship space is that because you're building your idea, your business, your service, there's a desire to protect that and to make it yours and to be the leader of the pack. And this challenge cannot be solved that way. This requires a whole community of people who, number one, take a back seat to listening to disabled people talk about what they want and what will serve them best. And number two, who will work openly and collaboratively um, to try and create change. And, you know, for a long time, I've really felt I won't call out any other entrepreneurship ecosystems. They're all wonderful. They're all beautiful. But while many entrepreneurship ecosystems are competitive, I think that Ghana is still collaborative. And that, com that competition seeps in. But I think there's a lot of people in this space who are willing to put social impact above themselves and really work together. And it just it becomes a matter of prioritization and access, even, even access on the reverse side. The people in the innovation space need to feel like this is an area that they can move in. And, and I, think that, I think that we're ready. Let's spend a little time talking about this interesting concept of disabled co-creation. Um, I personally have never heard about it. And I don't know how many of my listeners have heard about it, but can you, can you help us appreciate what this concept is and potentially how, how we can be a part of this concept, how we can develop it, you know, make it a mainstay in probably every tech hub or in every company or, or social gathering, whatever it is. How, how can we understand it and incorporate it into our daily living? You know, I, th I think that there's a phrase that's been used in a lot of communities on a lot of causes where people will say, nothing about us without us. Nothing about us without us. Don't make decisions for us. Don't make decisions trying to help us. Give us a seat at the table to make those decisions in collaboration and ourselves. And to me, this really gets at kind of the elements of design thinking. Um, of, of empathizing and understanding with communities, 
of allowing them to have a seat at the table and to share what they they feel their needs are. And every project that we've worked on so far has been in collaboration with the disabled community. Um, and I think that this idea of co-creation is really about working together in a way to develop something new. So some of our kind of co-creation ideas, we are really excited about the idea of adapting innovation spaces to be more accessible um, so that people can get in the door, so that people can participate in the conversation, so that people feel welcome and supported. Um, so as you go through an, an innovation uh, redesign, if you, you're looking at hubs or spaces or even you know startup offices, how can you not just think about what design will look cool, but have people in that conversation, everyone from engineers and electricians to people with a variety of disabilities to say, how would you move through this environment? How would you access it? What would your challenge be? When we came up with our adapted curriculum for teaching innovation in schools for the deaf, we sat down with both sign language interpreters and the Ghana National Association of the Deaf, um, along with teachers from the schools, and we said, how will students experience this? What are the challenges? And we made significant changes to our curriculum. Um, and I think that there's a lot more that can happen that we're not giving credit for. You know, at, at the end of that UNICEF project, we added a job shadowing element. So we were working with vocational students, so they already had kind of a career in mind. Um, we'd been teaching them about everything from marketing. They just got a Facebook page. It's amazing. Um, go check out the Today Oklahoma State School for the Deaf Facebook page. You can buy their products. But um, marketing you know, how you balance a budget, how you do all of these things. But then for a job shadowing experience, we got all small businesses, um, primarily in the OSU area, some outside of OSU, to host the students for a day with an interpreter and to walk through what their experience was like working in their shop, how it might need to be adapted. Um, it was incredible. I can it was, and not only is it the thing the students talk about most, and their teachers say they came back and they changed the way they did things at school because they had learned them in a hands-on environment, which was a better way for them to learn. But the host sites were, were shocked and surprised, and they've all asked us if they can continue to collaborate in the future. Some have talked about working with the students to try and create new joint products together um, because they saw they saw the work that students are capable of doing when given access to do it. And so I think this co-creation can happen in so many different ways. And I think that if we just give people the chance, a well-structured chance, a chance that takes into account, you just throw somebody into an environment they've never been in before. You know, I'm not telling you to just walk up to any person with a disability you see and think it'll go smoothly. But if we create an environment where where adaptability is taken into account, we've seen that people are excited and engaged and surprised and ready to do more. We looked back at our kind of risk assessment for that project, and one of our highest risks that we had noted was we were worried about how small businesses and, and other private sector groups would take our approach of asking them to collaborate. Easiest, easiest part of the project. What was, the, what, what was the most difficult part of the project? Whew. 
I think the most difficult part of the project was learning how all of these different parts and pieces work together and the best way to adapt and reach students. And it took time. And it took going back and doing it over and over again and learning and learning and learning. But we were, we were shocked and surprised by how many areas we thought would be challenging. That people were ready and willing they just needed the entry point. Well, this is you're still tuned in to 97.3 City FM. This is City Trends. We're having a conversation around innovation for inclusion. You know, if inclusion and diversity has not been very high on your radar, well, then that needs to change because clearly some of the businesses within Usu are learning um, how and why it's important for them to adapt because there is a lot that each and every one has to contribute i think it's mostly an issue of being given a chance to contribute and then given the opportunity and um given like you said a structured way by which you know that's that's that can work but there's always at the end of the day that conversation about the big brother you know because um, we happen to be living within a space where we have a big brother who overshadows quite a number of things, puts certain policies in place. How, how much of all of this requires big brother to change his ways or reform his ways or change the way and the approach, you know, to, to people living with disabilities? I think that's a big conversation. Um, and I think that there's a lot of different elements that, that go into, you know, we, we keep using the word structural, but these big boundaries, these big barriers, these big directions. I think that, you know, I'm trying to I have so many different perspectives going in my mind right now, Philip. I'm trying to narrow them down. Okay, let me talk about it this way. All right. First, We've got, when we're looking at things like the private sector, okay, when you're looking at startups and entrepreneurs, things like that, small businesses, or even large-scale corporates, um, if you start to think about the disabled community as potential consumers, there's a lot that you can do um, to help give back. Now, a lot of times when people are looking to make product sales, you might be doing that with a school or an NGO or the government. And then you have to start thinking about regulatory access. You have to start thinking about partnerships and collaborations. You know, the whole reason the African Health Innovation Center started is because the barriers in working in the health field are overwhelming, right? There's different vocabulary. There's so much bureaucratic regulatory access. And while it's there for a purpose, because we want people to be safe and we want people to be protected, it's prohibitive. And when you are a young entrepreneur, you want to move fast, pivot when you can, and the idea of filling out a lot of paperwork every time you want to do that is overwhelming. But there are, there are access to people in the disabled community as private consumers, and there's also access at scale through programs that serve the disabled community, and that co-creation element is, as an able-bodied person, you know, don't just think about what do I think would be good? What do I think would be a good product? The same way you have to market assess and user test for everything that you create, you gotta do the same thing here. 
right? Mm -hmm. And you also have to see the disabled person as your equal and as an equal participant in the conversation, Mm -hmm. not as somebody that you are there to care for. And that's Mm -hmm. a really tricky thing. That's a really tricky thing. The second part... That's almost like rewiring your, your thinking process, almost. You know, I think that... I think that when people think about people with disabilities, they think about people who are standing in traffic, right? And that's part of the community, and that part of the community should be developed. Mm. Um, The executive director of the Ghana National Association of the Deaf is almost finished with his law degree in Ghana right now. Yeah. Um, I was speaking with another person we work with at NAD, um, who's doing his master? Who's also deaf? Doing his master's degree in special education right now here in Ghana. So when people are given access, you know, it's a different type of conversation, and that doesn't mean the first group should be left out. And I think that there should be innovations that are aimed and targeted at that community as well. But we can't look at disabled people, in my air quotes, disabled people as like a monolith, as one thing in one style. Um, and at the same time, to make it not black and white, but this really, really messy area of gray, yeah. is we also need to be understanding and give grace and be supportive of families and of individuals that are struggling with the disability that they have. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that as well, mm-hmm. right? I think. Um, the other part about this is, you know, so much of this goes back to the education system and the way that education is delivered and the way that that is structured, how resources are allocated. And we've had the privilege of spending time in some of Ghana's special schools. That's the official designation in Ghana. They're called special schools. Yeah. And. We've learned a lot from having focus groups with teachers, parents, students themselves about the challenges that are faced. And like many schools, they're under-resourced. They're really stretched very thin. And we expect a lot of staff and administration who are often given very little to be able to make things happen. But there's... You know, we know stories that the interpreter, the sign language interpreter that we work with, um, his name is Francis Kweku Essel. He's amazing. Um, go and work with him, but not too much because he's going to come work for us. Um, he's, he's great. But, you know, he tells us stories about when working in deaf schools and then the teachers in their free time get together to try and learn sign language on the side, right? And I know he's led classes like that for other teachers before, really coming together in collaborative ways. But then you also have students who are in environments where they're struggling to keep up, where the resources aren't available to them. And if you think it's uncomfortable for us to have a conversation about the disabled community generally, imagine imagine if this is your own child and something is wrong and you don't know what it is and you feel like you can't talk to anyone and you can't go anywhere and you only have a risk of judgment. You know, in a lot of other parts of the world, there are a lot of tests that are done right when a child is born to search for different things. Those don't happen in Ghana. Mm -hmm. So it's up to a parent 
to just watch and look for something that might be off as their child grows, which means that they're not getting access to early intervention services, um, not getting access to services that are targeted towards their disability really early. And it means that there can be delays in school. It means that there can be challenges between families and their children. Um, the wheelchairs we were talking about earlier, the Bella's Bambas chairs that we're bringing, we have one in the next room. We're getting ready to give out the first one in Ghana. Um, you know, not only, it's, it's aimed for like a one-year-old. Like, it's like a baby in a little wheelchair, right? But they're physically moving themselves. So not only is their brain lighting up, but they're gaining the muscle strength that helps them transition to a walker later, depending on their disability, and that helps them potentially walk as they get older. If we don't have those early interventions, we run into trouble. So I'm not telling you anything we don't know, right? We have limited money. We have limited resources. Um, and we have challenges throughout, but I think we also have an ecosystem of people who like to look at that and, and think of what they can do next. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, it, it brings me to the African Health Innovation Center, and um, you, you've, you've given us a broad understanding of what you guys do, but can you give us specifics, like, you know, what are some of the interventions or projects that you're working on um, to get more people within um, the space um, to understand and also find a way to pitch in and, and, and assist? Yeah, so we have, like I mentioned, we, we really identified and started this focus back in 2019, but then 2020 happened. And as a public health innovation organization, it's been a busy time for us, for us. There's been a lot going on, and we've been privileged to be part of a lot of that conversation. And so we, we kind of had to pause some of our ideas. And in 2021, we really started to shift our focus and to make it one of our most emerging priorities. So like I mentioned, we have kind of this focus on inclusive innovation. How can we adapt um, the way that we train and the way that we teach? So that's been how we teach students themselves. Um, for example, through the UNICEF Upshift partnership that we worked on, where we did the trainings and the job shadowing, um, both at a school in Tema and at a school in Mampong. And also now we're kind of shifting into you know, train the trainer, if you will. How can we do teacher training that better supports educators and then supporting um, people with disabilities? And we've worked a lot in the education system right now because it's the easiest place to get everyone together. Um, and we're actually even, you know, going beyond Ghana. We'll be in Uganda in a couple of weeks in East Africa running a teacher training with a special education program there. So we're really excited about kind of this geographic expansion, the scope expansion, and then of course what's coming next is working with adults in the disabled community to also make sure that work is more um, accessible. We've also started, you know, with our clinical therapy device support, this, this wheelchair project, but also working in collaboration and mentorship with a number of existing organizations. We've worked for 
five, six years now with Crowdfrica, which does crowdfunding online to raise money for medical procedures, health insurance and education settings. We work in collaboration with the Rare Disease Ghana Initiative. Um, we just released a video highlighting them on the 20th of February, which was Rare Disease Day. They have identified over 80 rare diseases that are here in Ghana and work in collaboration with those families to make sure that those individuals are receiving both the medical support along with the therapy and equipment support that they need. It's really incredible. And then on our kind of disability co-creation, we're really focusing right now on digital digital accessibility. So we will be releasing our new website on our third anniversary on the 1st of June, and we plan for it to be a completely accessible website. And as we gear up to upgrade our office and move to a larger space, we've been working with a lot of external organizations that we can share soon um, about how to make those spaces accessible. So for us, this is just the beginning. And a lot of this work that we've done with, with teaching innovation in schools, we now want to scale to more schools, more challenge areas, and a broader geographic reach. Um, like I said, with the Disability Access Working Group, we're really excited to bring brilliant minds from across the ecosystem mm -hmm. together to hear about the work they're doing to figure out how we can be collaboratively supporting each other. Um, and if anybody out there listening is, you know, inspired, interested, excited about this type of work, please reach out to us because we're always looking for more folks. How? Ooh, great question. Um, so you can easily reach us by going to our website, which is www.africanhealthinnovation.org or reaching us on email at info at africanhealthinnovation.org. You can also reach us on WhatsApp, and our WhatsApp number is 054-012-6484. That's 054-012-6484. It's a really comfortable and casual way to reach us. You can call us on that line as well. It's our office phone number. And we're really, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, at African Health Innovation. Um, but come and find us and let's continue the conversation or we're happy to connect you to somebody else in our network that might be a really good fit for your interests. I like that. Well, my final question as we wrap up on the conversation actually has to do, when you mentioned about some of the work you'll be doing in Uganda, I believe. And I'm guessing Uganda is probably not the only African country that has piqued your interest in terms of, you know, expansion and collaboration. I'm just wondering, when in your research um, and in your conversations with partners who are looking at doing stuff like this across the continent, what are some of the similarities possibly that you, you find? Some of the things that turn up to be uncanny, like, hmm. That actually also exists here that you probably have found um, in your work in Ghana over the last couple of years. Are there, are there any? You know, I think that there are a lot of similarities. I'm trying to think if any of them are surprising. There are things that unfortunately we, we see in a lot of areas, right? So right now, AHIC works in Ghana, um, Kenya, Malawi, Senegal. We're doing this initial project in Uganda. Mm. Um, 
And so we've gotten to work in some different environments and we're just starting to expand our designing for access or disability focused work in these areas. Some of it is just other health stuff. What we found is that when we work in these communities, um, no matter which country we visit, a lot of people in the disabled community feel like they're left out of conversations. Mm -hmm. They feel like they don't have physical access, but they also feel like they don't have community or cultural access. Um, and they express a lot wanting to be taken seriously and included at a level where their opinion is being valued. Um, so I think that's you know a universal challenge, and there's a lot of work to do around that. We've also found that you know community to community, how schools function is different, how um, whether children or family members work inside, continue within the education system, there's actually really big variation. And what resources are available to you to find employment, to support a family, because disabled people do have families of their own as they get older, um, really has variation depending on the community. And that there's also really big, if you're in a, an urban area, versus a rural area, there are pros and cons to both of those, but often a really different experience, right? Just like it would be for any person. So I think that there is a lot to do throughout the con continent, um, but I'm excited about the growth that's been happening in Ghana specifically recently. I think we're ahead of the curve and we should stay there. <laughs> and we will absolutely stay there. Well, Emily, um, it's, it's been a pleasure, um, as always. Um, any final words or thoughts before we sign up on the show for today? Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having this conversation. Um, I mean, this whole thing has been about starting the conversation. How do we get people involved? How do we increase awareness? And I think that this is the first you know, step in that process. Um, the second is that it has been such a privilege to join you today. And like I said, this work is important to me professionally. It's important to me personally. <clears throat> but I would also encourage listeners to speak directly to the disabled community themselves. And once again, we can help make those connections um, if that's something you're interested in doing. But there's a lot of folks with a lot of brilliant ideas um, right here in Ghana who come from those communities also. Um, finally, I just want to say to everyone who's listening, thank you for making it this far. Thank you for, for considering all of these viewpoints and perspectives. Thank you for reaching inside yourself and, and opening your mind to maybe a different way to think about these things. And um, we're excited about, about the next steps and about moving forward. Thank you so much for having us, Philip. Always a pleasure. Well, Finally, I know I said finally, but finally, it is, of course, International Women's Day on March um, 8th, which is today. Um, and globally, we are breaking the bias. Um, a lot of the work that you do personally is actually breaking a lot of biases for people within the disability community. But then specifically, also, we understand some of the extra pressures that it comes with being a being a woman and b being a woman with disabilities as well and so i was just wondering if you know you had some thoughts for um people doing a listening um or thoughts around women within the tech space 
who do have disabilities, if there are any thoughts you'd like to share with them, any um, ideas or any um, comments about, you know, what, 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 what they need to be conscious of, you know, as we highlight women, the work of women um, and the efforts of women. And, um, you know, anything within that space would be fantastic. Of course, um, happy International Women's Day to all the women doing the listening right now. And, um, yeah, just trying to get a few thoughts from Emily, specifically around International Women's Day. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and happy International Women's Day to everyone. Um, AHIC is a dual female-founded organization, myself and my co-founder, co Frida Yassin. Um, and it's... It's always exciting to, to have a seat at the table as a female-founded and female-led organization. And shout out to all the other women who are leading startups uh, and creating change. I think that you bring up a really incredible point. And actually, it's really true. Um, a lot of women in the disabled community struggle to get equal access to education. They struggle to get equal access to employment. Um, it's a huge barrier, and it's actually one that some of our partners in disabled organizations um, have brought up to us and discussed. But I think that there's a lot of leadership that's moving that direction, and I think that there are some incredible examples of disabled women in the startup space that are creating real change. Um, we hope that that continues to grow and to expand, and over the years, um, we see it move even more. And that is where we draw the curtain down on the show today. Um, it's been a pleasure coming your way. Um, loved the conversation. Thank you so much, Emily. And a big thank you to you for doing the listening, for your messages and your thoughts as well on the show. Um, you can keep them coming. Um, you can connect with me, of course, on Twitter. Um, just make sure you include the hashtag City Trends. And, of course, I'm available on Twitter at K-O-F-I-A-S-H-O-N. This has been City Trends on 97.3 City FM. A big thank you to the production team for putting all of this together and making the show a reality. And um, the show will be available as a podcast first thing tomorrow. So please, 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 please make sure you look out for it. Share with your friends. Make sure everybody's listening because these are the conversations that we need to be having. Conversations around sustainability, conversations around inclusion and diversity. Um, these, these are the topics we need to be broaching and trying to resolve um, within our tech space and within the wider um, society that we live in. It's been a pleasure coming your way. Till next week, stay techie.